everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder. Got a special guest with us today. It's Justin Toscano from the Bergen Record, or the record. We just spoke off air about, uh, I guess, getting the right one there. But either goes, so we're going to put both out. And, uh, yeah, we're going to recap a, a very short and, I guess, somewhat disappointing, or well, very disappointing Mets season. And uh, look ahead to a bright future. Justin, thank you so much for coming back. What's happening, man? Of course, Tim. Nothing much. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's always a blast. I remember we we did one of these like right right before the season, right before summer camp, and I I honestly feel like that was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, or about nine to be exact. <laughs> yeah, it all like we were talking about off air. It all it all melts into one. Oh, exactly. Uh, it, it's just it's it's like uh, um, you know, before you knew it, it was over, and. and that's just, uh, you know, disappointing in itself. Um, the fact that, like, the super miracle eight, eight-way eight parlay actually played out, that if the Mets had won, uh, won out over the weekend, they actually could have made the postseason. But, you know, they had their opportunities this year. That I, I'm sitting there in Washington. I think it was Friday night. Game is obviously postponed. And I'm just like, you know, especially after the Giants, the Padres walk it off against the Giants in San Francisco, which is a weird thing about 2020. But um, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, you just watch. Like, the Mets will will get in because they've got, you know, DeGrom. And if they can get through the, the Porcello game, they've got Lugo. And, and watch. Like, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, a lot needs to happen. But I could easily see the Phillies losing twice to the Rays. I could easily see – you know, the Giants losing twice to the Padres, the Brewers losing once. and I, But then it's like, you know, all along we all talked about it, just kind of like the hardest part for this team was staying out of its own way. And so obviously the hardest part, even though it was so improbable and so much had to happen, the hardest part was always going to be them winning four in a row, you know, against the Nationals, which would have been their first four-game winning streak all year. So then, you know, we saw how it ended. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, the cards were stacked against this team um, between injuries, between opt-outs. Um, you know, there were a lot of holes to fill. And, you know, the offense really did perform well, but just the starting pitching, um, you know, when you're when you're putting your uh, your Michael Wackas and your Rick Porcellos in your, you know, your your three and four spots when they were kind of both vying for the five hole at the, at the start of things, um, well, before Syndergaard got hurt. It's, you know, it immediately puts you at a disadvantage. Um, pulling Lugo out of the bullpen, um, you know, as well as Lugo did in the rotation, it kind of left a hole in the bullpen. And then uh, Batanzas never really found his way. And, uh, it, well, between the injuries, then when he came back, the velocity was up. But um, I I was kind of looking at him as a, as a glue piece this year. Um Familia had his flashes. Diaz had a terrific year, but you know there was a like you said there was they they had opportunities to string together the wins um, to really get going and and right when they did get going the the COVID pause happened and um, you know they just really never found their footing after and it's um it's disappointing I mean we get playoff baseball it's a shame that between you know <laughs> the top half of the National League the Mets couldn't squeak their way in but. Like we said, they had so many chances and kind of squandered them. But um, there were bright spots. And, uh, you know, you could look on both sides of the chalk there. I'll start with David Peterson. I know he's not on my list, but our buddy Mike Mayer put out a really cool tweet. He led all major league rookie pitchers with, I think, 1.5 wins above replacement per fan graphs. And that's, um, that's encouraging, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you almost have a tendency to – to look at David Peterson, you kind of wonder where would the Mets have been without him? You know, had he not stepped up the way he did, but he's that guy where his stuff really doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, it overpowers you or, or it really like jumps, you know, off the screen or jumps out. But it's just like he, I think where he made his, his name was, was in the stuff you, you can't really measure until you see him pitch working out of a lot of those situations like his, Debut, he's got bases loaded against J.D. Martinez. The next time out in Atlanta where he goes six innings, he's got bases loaded uh, against Acuna. And, and the ability to, to limit damage and, and really, I guess it sounds cliche, but but execute and make a pitch when he needed to was was very encouraging because a lot of times that's that's the thing with those young guys, even those who you know might have better stuff than, 
than he does. It's like, well, you know, they get erratic when there's trouble on the bases and, and traffic there. And he really didn't. I mean, he had a he had a couple poor starts. The one, you know, obviously Labor Day against Philly being being the worst. But I mean, there really were a lot of times he could have unraveled and he looked, you know, a lot of his teammates said that the common theme was just kind of he looks like he's been playing a lot longer than than he has. And that's I, I think, you know, I know we'll we'll eventually talk about Seth Lugo, but I think David Peterson is one guy who I mean, I can't, you know, unless the Mets have just this crazy bonanza offseason, I can't envision a scenario where he's not at the very least the the fifth starter next year. Oh, I agree 100%. I think he he showed that poise. Um he certainly showed that he he belongs and his stuff can play at this level. Um you know, just looking across his stats here, he held guys to it was a 31.2% hard hit rate, which is right up there in the tops of the um uh, of the team and and you know that's impressive i mean that's and like you were saying with guys who who have you know arguably better stuff i mean look at a miguel castro um right uh, outstanding terrific stuff but he just you know he he he's got to learn to kind of stray away from the center of the zone or kind of reel himself in when control issues are, are setting in but um yeah peterson you know he would make a misstep but he'd find his path you know, very, very soon thereafter. And that's, that's impressive for a, for a guy making what, how many starts did he make this year? God, I'm going to, I want to say nine, eight, eight, nine. Yeah. We, we have, um, yeah, nine okay. starts, 10 appearances. <clears throat> excuse me, nine there starts, 10 go. appearances. And this is a guy who never pitched above double A. So, um, yeah, sure, nothing yeah. but, Nothing but shining reports on him, I think, across the board. And, yeah, I think back into the rotation, um, you know, depending on what happens with Steven Matz, um, Peterson could be kind of uh, tailor-made to kind of fill that fill that gap. Right, right. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to be interesting because Peterson showed that that he that he could. But then you you kind of flip it with Matz's situation. You're like, OK, he regressed. But would he, you know, would he have had a better second half if there were a full season? And it just goes into kind of like the overarching thing of the season, the toughest thing for teams to to evaluate. And this is really where the, you know, the brass of certain major league teams and decision makers are going to make their money and separate themselves this year is being able to evaluate and predict whether certain guys overperform just because of the season or underperform just because there weren't enough games. And the Steven Matz thing to me, I mean, you know, I know Pete Alonzo had a rough year, but I think Steven Matz has got to be by far, at least to me, the most disappointing Met this year. Because, I mean, I, I, in summer camp and even back to spring training in Port St. Lucie, his teammates and coaches were, you know, had been singing his praises about just like, you know, and he'd been talking about how Hefner and Jeremy Hefner had helped him figure some things out. And, you know, he was about to turn a corner and even in summer camp Jacob deGrom said you know wow that's that's the best you know I've seen him in a long time and then he comes out and almost has you know would have had a an ERA over 10 had it not been for that last inning he pitched um yeah and I mean you're just like you just kind of leave shocked because I thought Steven Matz you don't see him as you know he has had blow up innings but but this year it's like it was everything compounded into one with him worse than we've ever seen it before in his career Oh yeah, just the home runs, the um, visibly shaken on the mound. He, you could like his emotions. He always wore his emotions on the sleeve. You could see that through the screen. But, um, you know, he was visibly stirred up on the mound, and, and that's something that, like, I guess you have to just kind of roll with the punches. But in a season like this, you don't really have time to roll with the punches. It's uh, it's a shame because you know he has the stuff. We've all seen him succeed here and you know even his pitches his pitches were were crisp this year they were looking good he just left too many pitches over the middle of the plate and um you know major league hitters are going to attack that and uh you have to wonder whether a full off season of working with Hefner and Accardo is gonna kind of get him back on track because you know just the progress that you've seen other guys make and, you know, sure, they didn't have a whole off season to work. They didn't have a whole lot of time this year to work with, I guess, uh, summer camp being staggered and then kind of being thrown into it. But you look at a guy like Jacob deGrom, who tacked on like two miles an hour to his fastball this year. Yeah. Um, 
you know, one, he's an absolute freak of nature, but, you know, at least from the outside looking in, you have to look at that as something, some sort of biomechanics adjustment. And then that's the type of stuff that Hefner and Ocardo, you know, that's their calling card is that whole kind of scientific aspect to pitching. Um, you have to wonder whether one by one they're going to go through this pitching staff and kind of, hey, let's tinker with this. Hey, let's, you know, let's get everybody running on on, on all pistons and uh, and see what we got. And I think Stephen Matz could be a really, really strong candidate to to uh, to take a big leap if, if they get him the right information and, and uh, he gets back to the top of his game. Right, right. I know there are a lot of people thinking that, you know, the Mets should non-tender him and that, you know, he's he's gone. But. You know, I'm not so sure just because I don't think, you know, I know he's entering that, that final year, but it's like I don't think I don't think he's going to cost enough after, you know, the past couple seasons he's had for for you to I, I still think it's worth a shot because, like you said, you know, get him a full off season. It's a weird year for everybody. And um, Stephen Matz's case, Michael Walker's case, Rick Porcello's case is kind of to me what made the Mets kind of so sad this year because you look at the bullpen and some key guys actually did, you know, contribute. Like before his rough stretch, Brad Brock was decent. Jared Hughes was good before it got rough at the end. Chasen Shreve, you know, came out of nowhere and really contributed for them. Edwin Diaz had a great year. And so it, it almost like it almost flipped. Like their bullpen conceivably was improved. It's just that, you know, it seemed like every night or every other night that, you know, DeGrom wasn't pitching, you had – a poor start, a short start, both at the same time, you know, issues here and there. And it's it's like I know the short season forced them to to tinker with a lot of things. And that should should give Luis Rojas a little bit of an easier year next year. But it's like you, you just never expected this. I know there were people who expected. I know there will be fans who say, OK, like we knew signing Waka and Porcello wasn't a good idea. I don't really think anybody conceivably expected them to be as bad as they were. Like, you just, just like walk up falling off the table, having a career worst year, Porcello having a worse year than, than he did last year when that was supposed to be the bottom for him last year, 2019. Um, and really, I mean, this team still, yeah, when you look at why they didn't grab a playoff spot, it's like things like that, Matt's where they, they really had no consistency there. You mentioned Luis Rojas. Um, you know, you heard whispers of, oh, I mean, I'm talking from like fans, not from the actual organization. Oh, Rojas should go. I, I, I don't buy any of that. And, and he came out on Sunday and he fully expects, I'm paraphrasing, of course, he fully expects to be the manager next season. And he should. Um, he only had, you know, technically a little more than a, qu- a third of a season to uh, a third of a, a real season to kind of get his feet wet. And um, yeah, I mean, the players from, again, outside perspective, it appears they love playing for him. Brandon Nimmo, and I believe, I forget who else came out over the weekend and, you know, kind of sung his praises. There's, there's no chance. I mean, I don't want to say no chance, but there's a strong possibility Rojas is back in the in the dugout next year, right? I, yeah, I would, I would say that too. I do, you know, <laughs> all those whispers, you know, all season – um, kind of, kind of on Twitter, and it's almost like, what, you know, it, I, I think when you're when you're evaluating this team's season, as disappointing as it was, Luis Rojas had his certain in-game moves that were questionable, and that might be putting it lightly. But you, like you said, I mean, he, he was if he was a problem, he was the least of their problems this year. Look, you're getting a guy who has proven himself in the minor leagues, has proven himself in winter ball, like literally managed winter ball after the minors to, to get more experience. I think he's going to be just fine. I actually think the Mets have a great manager in him, and I think a lot of those questionable moves were basically just, I mean, he was handcuffed with the way that rotation was and then the way they had to take guys out of the bullpen and when they were taking Gesellman and Lugo out to stretch them out, then it put a bunch of stress, you know, on the rest of the guys near around that Yankees series. So it's like you've got guys going multiple innings, multiple days in a series. And then it's and it's like I can easily see why, you know, he made some of those moves in a short season. I don't think there's any way he's going. man. I mean, like you like you said, you never want to say never. But it's just like I think they would be extremely foolish to to let him go, especially because the players do. Like they, 
the Mets had some lackluster performances this year, but I never saw – there were a couple bad ones, but I never saw the lack of energy that we did in some of them last year before that second half. And I think, like, I think it is, you know, whether it be cliche or not, I think they do fight for, for Rojas. I think they do enjoy playing for him. I think he communicates with them. And look, like, you know, if Mets fans want something to to like him for, I mean – in a shortened season, when he knew they had to go, when he knew they had to win, he pulls Ahmed Rosario and just starts Andres Jimenez down the stretch. He does the same, you know, with Robinson. Trinos wasn't even hitting well, but he's just figuring, well, he's been a little bit better defensively, and he's calling a better game for a couple of the pitchers. And now, you know, suddenly Wilson Ramos isn't playing as much. And then you look at first base, and he very obviously, and he said it too, to get the better glove out there with Dom Smith, especially because of the way Smith was hitting. And, you know, they had the DH for Alonso. Making those moves, I mean, that's what, that is what you want to see out of your manager. Because I feel like so many times last year, blame it on the Wilpons, blame it on Brody, whoever. But I feel like so many times last year, fans complained about, oh, well, Cano's just hitting third again. Or why is Ramos all the way, you know, up at fifth? He hasn't, he hasn't hit at all in the last couple of weeks. You didn't see that as much with this team after, you know, the first couple weeks. Like, I think Luis Rojas managed as best as he could with, with an aggressive fervor and an aggressive attitude. I just think that, you know, you're looking at a third of a season of a weird season where nobody's ever going to manage the same way again just because, you know, they, they won't have to. They'll have a full 162 games. You can't get rid of him, and I don't think they will. I think him seeming confident – um, Luis Rojas and, you know, talking to him over those those pregame things and knowing him from spring training. I mean, he he's not the type of guy who's going to come out with with kind of like an insurance, you know, with with a statement like that. I, I think he's received at least somewhat a little bit of assurance that that he'll be around. Um, I don't know if he has. That was just my gut feeling when when he said that um, instead of avoiding the question. But <laughs> I mean, you can't it would be just utterly ridiculous to let him go after this i agree 100 percent. i just i I was yes and of course there were mistakes made and you know these things will happen and and like you were saying um i wish i could pull a particular one out of thin air but i can't but um you know you saw the other side of the coin as he was making some of these decisions And, and at least from a fan's perspective yeah you understood it and you know just so happens they backfired a little more than any of us wanted them to but um with a new regime coming in with cohen coming in with sandy who's a good baseball mind who if math if my math is right um rojas was in the organization when sandy was here correct Yes. Yep. Yeah. For many years. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's a, as, as, you know, a sure thing as you could possibly, you know, as you can peg right now. But, um, of course, we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, I want to touch on Dom and Pete. Um, I guess by all accounts, the DH is probably a permanent thing now, right? I, I would, I would assume so because you've just seen so many of these teams. Uh, NL teams really like, you know, nobody in the NL has got like a David Ortiz who's just penciled in there, but they all found out that, oh, well, you can use it for, for versatility, get a better roster out there. And then, yeah, I would think that I don't, I don't think there's any way, you know, the games were more exciting with it. I don't think there's any way it's leaving. Yeah. So now the Mets are left with a bit of a conundrum because, I mean, we saw the benefits of Dom playing first base this year. Um, Oh yeah. Just a sterling glove. Um, he had a breakout season, sixth in weighted runs created plus, I believe, in the majors, which is just mind blowing. But that's you know that that's Dom's case. He brings just talent and effort on both sides of the chalk, and uh, he's he's developed into a fine ball player. Uh, Pete struggled this year. Um, that's no secret, and that's not being critical. Uh, that's just the truth. He struggled this year. Um, he was chasing a bunch. Is you know, it is what it is. He, I think I said it on Twitter this week. He's talented enough to make his way back from all these things, and we saw it over the last weekend. He was just absolutely tattooing balls. Um, you know, come next year, and let's just assume the DH is here. One has to assume you're going to see Dom at first and Pete in that DH spot um, more often than not. And part, I guess, part B to that is, do you feel that kind of pigeonholes 
Pete in a certain way? Or do you think he is a major league capable first baseman and there can be some sort of not not traditional platoon, but everybody gets a little playing time kind of to, for the versatility aspect? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it'll be a little bit of of the latter. I look. I could see. You know, I think Pete's got room. The the it's not as much of an indictment. It's more of an indictment on Pete because Dom's glove is so good. Like you mentioned, I don't think it would be exactly. as 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 big of a. You know, I don't think the microscope would be on it as much if they didn't have somebody like Dom. And then again, I think moving forward, if you're Luis Rojas, I think a bench, I think it's going to be somewhat of a platoon, maybe, you know, more, more Dom than Pete. If, you know, obviously if Dom continues to to produce at the plate, like, you know, like he did this year. And if, if Pete doesn't really close the gap defensively, um, but you have to make sure like a guy like Pete obviously wants to be out there. And I think yeah. in an 162 game season, there's going to be a lot more, uh, ego massaging. I don't know if that's even the right word for it, but where you've got to worry about, okay, you know, you hope Alonzo's a, a cornerstone player. You hope he's with you for, for a long time. Don't burn it right now. But on the other hand, you've also got to go like they did this year with your gut, with your eyes. I mean, Dom Smith offers you a lot there. The reason I do think Pete will get, you know, more playing time there than, than maybe we expect now is because you can throw Dom in left. You really don't know how they're, you know how they're gonna they're gonna fill center or if they're gonna fill center field um so dom could play left especially because you know jd davis played you know primarily third this year after after jeff mcneil's little trial run that you know didn't didn't go as they they had hoped in the first uh in the first couple weeks so with dom's versatility i honestly think that's you know that's a lucky thing for pete because i think that allows them to get Pete in the line, you know, in the lineup and playing first base a lot more, especially if you if you throw the DH in there. Um, so I do think it'll be a little bit more of a traditional platoon. But hey, if it's I fully expect Dom to play there more in the future if, if he played, you know, if he played like he did this year, because I mean, his glove, we saw it on a lot of those plays, especially when you've got Jimenez at short and, and guy, you know, and you're you're playing your good. And I mean, we saw a lot, you know, a lot of those plays start with a great you know, Dom snag at first. And I mean, he had, I mean, countless pick after pick there at, at first that, you know, he makes look effortless, but it's just, everybody knew he had a great glove this year. People are more focused on it because he also had the plate production to match. And so it just seemed like such a, of a no brainer for them to go with him more. And I think that'll, I think that's going to hold going forward. Like I said, unless Pete can sizably close the gap at first. Yeah, and you know, and even Diamond left wasn't um, it, it wasn't atrocious. It was it was playable for sure, and he even made some terrific plays out there. So like that that kind of multi that multi position rotation that the Mets kind of did this year, it does add versatility. It does um, it it gives the team more options. It lets them put the best team possible. Or, or the team that's going to get them the best, the most, the, the highest probability to win that night, according to their analytics or according to their gut, whatever, what have you. Um, it's going to give them the ability to kind of to go out there and and compete every night and with the proper right. support around the core um, that you know we all hope is coming with Steve Cohen and you know you were mentioning cornerstone guys and I think Conforto you know that's I know we've said it a few times on the pod but I think me and you even spoke about it before the season um, you know locking him up for the foreseeable future has to be at the top of the list right. Oh yeah, that's got to be. I mean, if you're looking at in-house stuff, obviously JT Realmuto, like <laughs> that's got to be priority <laughs> one. But even priority, if that's priority one, Conforto's priority one A. And look, you always, you know, just the um, the theme of Scott Boris is, is pushing his guys to free agency. But with Conforto, you know, you're looking at a guy who's had some injury history here and there, which is you know hamstring thing, whether it be whatever it may be. And, you know, he produced, he had at one point, he was putting up MVP numbers this year in the middle of this season. And so maybe, you know, if, if the price is right, his side might think, you know, now's the time. The value's high. I mean, I think certainly this year he showed that he could put himself in that elite tier of, of outfielders. I mean, because not only was he, you know, if you're looking at a team MVP, Dominic Smith having the breakout year that he did is obviously going to be high on the list. But 
with the consistency, I think it's tough to to make a case against Conforto. And, and we really saw a lot of defensive improvement this year from him just in the way he tracks fly balls. And I think he, he talked about that a lot with he and um, Luis Rojas back when Rojas was, you know, the quality control coach and the outfield instructor, um, just what they worked on. But that's got to be your top priority is it, it extending him. I mean, I know, you know, signing JT. So, so just say priority 1A, extending Conforto because look, they are going to be – you know, you're talking about a guy who can who's who's hitting, you know, like top of the order or middle of the order at worst. Um, and he really showed this year. I mean, offensively, the really the only the biggest knock against him in his career that he couldn't hit lefties and he hammered lefties this year. So, I mean, the holes in his game are, are shrinking by the year. And um, I think you've got to v- extend him. I mean, I don't see a viable Look, they've been trying to – this might change with Steve Cohen, but they've been trying to get a serviceable center – you know, an actual center fielder for years. What happens if you lose Conforto? I mean, that's a homegrown guy that that you obviously want to have, and um, you don't want him to go to another team in the division, another team in the NL even, and it's – you've got to extend him. I mean, he's such an important part of the lineup that that when he's going, it seems that there are very few games that the Mets are – Everybody else is going and Michael Conforto's not. It seems like he's often a catalyst. Yeah. And that's, you know, the 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 player he's developed into is just so multifaceted and um, you know, five tool is not a phrase that anybody should throw around very, very often. And and I don't think Conforto's quite there, but boy, he he's he's flirting with it, man. He 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 does it all. He does it all very well. And um yeah, and even the leadership kind of role that he took on this year. I mean, and this is going back to summer camp when he was the, I think, the first player to come out and kind of address the media um, and kind of speak about the the situation at length. Um, you know, I think he kind of took the step forward. And, you know, and it's, it's to the Mets' credit that they have a number of players who could kind of take up that role. You have him, you have Pete, who's, you know, for a second-year player, um, one and a half years if you want to, get technical but uh you know for for a young guy to um you know just show such accountability um it's exciting it's exciting for the future it's exciting for the Mets you know in general but um you know everybody's gonna have their place Nimmo turned out to have a a terrific year from his on-base standpoint and I think he was still like a 148 weighted runs created or high 140s I don't have the number in front of me but um what are the Mets doing in center field? It, it, it is uh, you know what? A- answer the answer the first part. We're we gonna go in house or we're we gonna search uh, scour the free agent market. Man, I know uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a been a hot topic for for a couple. And Nimmo, you know, he's got a lot of room to improve in center, and that's not you know that's that's nothing against him. People think you know he's a corner outfielder, but it's you know he said yesterday if it were up to him, you know he'd want to play center and. I'm almost inclined to think I don't know how the Cohen regime is is going to run or think on these things. I'm almost inclined to think that we'll see him in center and they will shore up needs elsewhere because I think obviously catcher is just a glaring glaring hole. And then you've got basically the way it works out now is that if you're even if you're counting on Steven Matz, you know, returning to form, you've really got to retool the rotation, whether that's re-signing Marcus Stroman, because you're not even going to have Noah Syndergaard, presumably, until the summer of next year. So it's like you've got to retool the rotation as well, you know, behind DeGrom. And so because Nimmo played center field this year, I'm just inclined to think that that will at least see him there next year, and they'll go with with a Marisnik-type backup option. Who Marisnik was actually not bad this year, you know, obviously hampered by the hamstring injuries. But I just think, you know, I don't know. I Part of me wants to say, you know, you, you want a true center fielder. And that's like a, a Jackie Bradley Jr., a George Springer eventually. But, you know, I know I, I almost feel like Nimmo in center gives them better versatility. And that might be like a backwards way to think about it. But it's because you can throw Dom in left, JD in left, you know, and then you, you've got McNeil to move around. Um Whereas some of that might might go out a little bit if you've got a true center fielder and Nimmo's taken up one of the the corner spots, especially if you lock up Conforto because he's going to be in right. Um, I, I'm going to have to say he's in center field, 
and like I, I don't know why, but I, I have a feeling that that other needs might might come first. They do need a true center fielder, but I think he he might have the ability to to improve a little bit there. I don't I'm not I'm not sold on him, you know, I'm not sold on kind of like selling him out just yet, just because look, this is a guy who <laughs> People call a fourth outfielder and look what he's turned into. <laughs> I mean, he's really justified the pick with how he's, you know, he's produced at the plate. And I know his defense at times was just atrocious, but yeah, it's either, it's either Nimmo. I can see him staying there, but I would say that, you know, Jack, someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. would, would probably make the most sense if you're going like, if you're going outside the organization. Oh, I would love JBJ in Queens. Um, I have, family members up in Massachusetts who have been speaking his praises for a very long time. Uh, big Jackie Bradley fan. And uh, yeah, I think a, a move like that would be um, beneficial. I, I think I do see where you're coming from with the kind of log jam that we create with the rest of the roster. If you have limo and uh, excuse me, Nimmo and left um, kind of full time. Cause then, you know, JD Davis loses at bats and you know, when he's right, um, he's a game changer. And he struggled this year, you know, to an extent. Um, yeah. And, you know, he spoke about his not having his hitting coach around, and that was certainly um, a, uh, you know, it's got to be different. <laughs> That's I'll leave it at that. It's, it's certainly got to be an adjustment. But it, it does create sort of a logjam for the rest of the um, the roster. Do you, I know we, we talk about this. We've talked about it for two years now. Um is Ahmed Rosario ever going to get a, a shake in center field? I mean, have you guys watched him take reps out there? Is he does he look like he could field the position? I mean, he's athletic. That's that's kind of and and Jimenez is kind of forcing them out of his spot as much as well as Rosie did over the last couple of weeks. Um, it, yeah, Jimenez is uh, he's just he's got more to offer, I guess at this point. And that's not to, that's not a knock on Rosario, but um, yeah, you got to go with the hot hand to quote our, our man, Terry Collins. And uh, Jimenez was just red hot this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost like, you know, he, I, I've, my defense of Ahmed Rosario over the last year has been this. He's only going to be 24 years old. That defense somewhat goes out the window when a kid who's 21 years old comes up and outplays the 24-year-old. So, yeah, I think Jimenez does have more to offer, especially because you don't know Rosario's glove. You could project it being great. You, you know, you could project it improving by a lot, but I think you're, you're hinging his athleticism on that. And, and that, the reason for that is because he is so athletic. I just think naturally Jimenez there is, is going to be their guy for the future unless he just – doesn't hit at all, and Rosario hits a lot. But as you were saying, some a couple times in center field, you know, pregame last year, you know, 2019, and and it was just like, you know, taking fungos or like catching, you know, BP, a shag and fly, but stuff like that. But it's you're, it's almost like a, a backyard baseball type thing, right? Where you're just putting, you know, your most athletic guy in, in center or something like that, or like an NFL yeah. softball team. And like, I honestly would try it. Like, I think they should – they should flirt with it, especially because you look at the infield rotation. And if you're going forward next year, I mean, even if you want to have, I know there were expanded rosters this year, but if you want to have a guy like Guillaume on the roster and, and you like that rotation with him, you know, playing some second, playing some short for, you know, whenever, and you don't even have to play Rosario a lot in center field, but I think it should be something that's at least flirted with like they did last year, because Look, it would give them, you know, a lot more versatility. It's just that the way, I guess, you know, it goes back into to people's main gripe about the Mets is that they just they just play guys out of position and they they force them places and, and it's kind of half-assed. So you have to make sure that that there's some intent behind it. But I think that I don't think it's a bad idea to at least consider the idea because look, like Andres Jimenez, I mean no matter what way you want to put it, basically outplayed Ahmed Rosario in, in every facet this year. And, <laughs> and you know, and then and, and there's really not on the bases, like Ahmed Rosario guy that athletic and fast and didn't steal a bait, you know, only stole. Yeah. I don't even think he, he had one opportunity, you know, one tried once. And, and it's just, so from base running defense and, and even at the plate, Jimenez was far better than, than, you know, we ever anticipated. So if that's going to continue, 
you want to at least have I like like Rosie, you know, involved and in, in competing somewhere. Plus, if you ever want to include him as a trade piece or get his value up, that's the way that's going to do it. He's not going to do that by sitting on the bench. Yeah, no, that versatility um, aspect will, will certainly boost his value. And I think his ceiling is still high enough that if they were going to kind of entertain that idea, um, he, he would still, you know, they could still point to his full season numbers over, you know, from like, what was it, June of 2018 all the way through to the end of last year. He was an above average player. And if you look at his second half in 2019, forget it. I mean, I think that's might be an unrealistic ceiling, but when he's hot, I mean, if he's going to produce like that as he gets, you know, as he develops a little bit more, um, that's that's certainly a selling point. I, I yeah. wouldn't be, uh, you know, I wouldn't be totally against uh, sticking to center field. I, I know it's not my money and we don't know how Cohen's going to spend his money and we know that Sandy Alderson is a very kind of calculated um, thinker and, you know, he he's not a flashy guy he kind of wants to build that team that that you know team mentality team aspect is important to him we kind of saw that last time um i i would really like to see george springer in queens i, I he's got a lot to prove and like a historically a lot to prove he didn't have a terrible season this year uh yeah i think that would be an asset and maybe you gotta look to to i i hate to say trade nimmo other teams see his value and you know after what the last regime kind of did to the, the high end of the Mets prospects system I, I wouldn't be shocked a uh, farm system excuse me I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a, a bigger type name go and I this isn't me like advocating for Nemo to be traded but I could see the the domino effect of get a big name get George Springer move Nemo um Maybe keep Nimmo, move J.D. Davis. You know, they, it's never a problem to have too much talent on the roster. And right now the Mets have too much talent on the roster. And especially with a shortened, um, uh, a non-extended roster next year. You brought up Luis Guillorme, who had a outstanding year. You know, in, in all likelihood, there's not going to be a spot for him. Um, no. Yeah. It, that, and that's, that's really, really, uh, that's a shame. And, uh, you know they have some decisions to make, and I, I'm, I want to say that Sandy, you know, maybe does. Of course, he sees the the upside in a guy like Luis Guillorme. He he's the one who kind of brought him into the organization and ushered him along. But um, yeah, I I'd hate to see a guy like that leave the organization who brings so much to the table. But you know. We'll leave it at the Mets have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. But for the first time in a long time, and I think I speak for the entire fan base, there's actually there's no like uh, there's no hidden um, there, there's no anxiety coming along with this. Where I think we're all genuinely excited for the ride. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's been cool to see at least on you know social media is like people. There's been. A- a lot of suffering when you when you tie so much of your emotion, you know, attachment to to a sports team and, and especially one, you know, and it's like, I you know, I I get it. And, and others do, too, who didn't grow up Mets fans like you don't nobody wants their team to be that laughing stock. That's always as funny as it may be to see like the back pages of the comical headlines of what the Wilpons did. Nobody wants to be a laughing stock. And, and, you know, even if players don't care as much about that, they don't want it to happen too. like, look at. You know, even this year, the Mets in a 60-game season filled up, you know, that season with with so many, you know, snafus that would be worth an 162-game season. You had the hot mic thing. You had them misspelling Brody's name in the press release. You had, you know, <laughs> and, and just with the thing, Wilpon taking the fall for that hot mic. And it was just, it was a lot. And I do think that the good thing about Cohen already is, Look, we all full disclosure, we don't know how it's going to be, don't know how he's going to spend his money, don't know what decisions he's going to want to make versus ones he's going to want to delegate. And I just think that the Sandy Alderson move, at least in part to me, proved that he, Cohen, does not want to be involved in, in the baseball, does not want to be seen as, as that meddling owner. And I think that's a very good first step, and I think there should be a lot of optimism you know, with, with the Mets fan base, because for the first time in a long time, I mean, this guy is going to come in and, 
be one, you know, the richest major league baseball owner, you know, when or once approved. And then he's going to be one of the, the richest owners in, in pro sports. This team's going to set a record for how much it, you know, sells for. So, it, I mean, for the first time in a long time, you can see, you know, as a fan, I would imagine your team, your big market team acting like a big market team. And I think I think it, it will run more like that. And, you know, the, the icing on the cake is just, you know, you hope you don't have to deal with all the BS you did since 2003. Yeah, and for a while there it was okay, but things just deteriorated to the point that, um, you know, we've we've all said it, and I, I, everybody listening knows my opinions on the current ownership group. I'm not going to get into that, but, um, you know, you you can only watch the same movie so many times, and we've all seen this movie a million times, and uh, you know, unless it's one of the movies that you really really enjoy, you're not going to come back to it, and we keep on coming back to it, and this is just. Uh, Sandy with control and a payroll is that I think that might be the most exciting part for me because I mean, he's so well respected. He's such a good baseball mind. Um, he's adapted with the game. I, I don't think like any anyone else from his generation who's a baseball lifer right. has kind of yeah. rolled with the punches of the game of baseball or just kind of rolled with the um, with the landscape. And it's you know, and he was at the kind of the cutting edge of that. And it's, you know. With the staff that he's allowed to build now and with the 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 roster and the payroll that and he's not a he's not a frivolous guy <laughs> like we, we saw that the first go around. He's not going to go out and spend just to spend. And and, you know, he got obsessed with this because, hey, we can make a run. And OK, I'll throw one dig in there. Those 2015 Mets had absolutely no business going to the World Series. Sandy <laughs> and Ter- Sandy and Terry Collins. Terry Collins, and I know I'm going to get killed because a lot the, the fan base is torn on Terry, but I love Terry, and he got the most out of his players, and Sandy said, fuck it, we're close, we're getting Cespedes. And, you know, I can't imagine the fight that he had to put up to say, look, we're doing this, and then to resign him, but whatever. That's a, that's a, it's all in the past now. We can just move forward. But Sandy, with the actual reins of control in his hand, um, that's, that's the most, that's the biggest piece of a lore for me and and you know i'll leave it at that it's just there's so much to be uh excited for yeah yeah no for sure and that that comment you know about sandy could really be applied look everybody who goes into that organization now you know front office wise is going to have a much cleaner evaluation because you know do i think brody's done a good job no do i think brody would do a good job with the type of payroll cohen's going to give whoever is in that job like sandy and whoever you know, if he does hire anybody under him, yeah, I think a lot of us could do, you know, a lot better job in that type of setting than than in a Wilpon setting. There, look, there's a reason that Brody felt like he needed to to trade valuable prospects for for Cano Diaz. Felt like he needed to get Marcus Stroman. To me, that said, you know, he he knew, you know, he was conceding that the Mets were not going to be a, a player for big names in free agency. It, it should it was just a situation. But yeah, Sandy Alderson, the, with the way he's adapted to the game, um, how respected he is, I, I'm going to be interested to see the setup, especially because he's going to have an actual payroll to work with. Um, team president, he could leave it at that. He could hire a general manager. And it's just like, you know, Brody could be in play. It, it's going to be interesting. But I do think, you know, you never know how an ownership change is going to go. But with this one, I think in terms of <laughs> – in terms of ownership changes historically, this one is one of the ones where you can say that uh, that that you think it's going to be a positive for the team with uh, with the new regime taking over. Uh, after so many years, decades, in fact, of being beat up, uh, unbridled optimism on my end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should be. It's like yeah, spring training 2021 can't you know can't come soon enough. It should be a should be a good team. I mean, like I was say, I always you know tell people it's like they're. There are certain teams who miss the playoffs that are rebuilding and are just a dire situation. And then there's this team that that has too much talent to miss the playoffs. So while disappointing, I, you know, I, I do think they will have a good season in 2021 if they're they're very intentional about, you know, improving their roster because they do have deficiencies. But they, you know, they can fix those, especially like we've been talking about, if they've got some more some more leeway in the checkbook. Yeah, and the core of the tier is, um, like you said, it's just they're 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 uber talented, and uh, 
Yeah, bright brighter days are ahead, my friend. And from, the <laughs> right. fan, from the from the fan base, that's something we haven't been able to say. So it feels kind of good. But uh, I, I think we hit all our bases, man. You got what are you working on? You got any big features coming out with the uh, with the off season upon us? You covering the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. So they're gonna have me on some Yankees stuff. Um, in terms of big features, stay stay tuned. I don't, you know, I'm setting stuff up, but um. But yeah, probably not, you know, good to announce yet, but it's, um, yeah, with the playoffs, it'll be have me on some Yankee stuff working from home. That'll be nice. I like traveling, but it's like, it's been so much traveling over two months that I'm just kind of like excited to be at home and, and watch a ball game. And, and truthfully, man, like I being from San Diego, it's going to be pretty cool to watch like some Padres, you know, baseball, see them in a playoff game for the first time and God over half of my life. So, um, so yeah, it's bro. Like you said, brighter days are ahead, but this this offseason is going to go quickly. I am also, um, you know, I know Mets fans hate to hear it. I'm also a Padres fan and uh, very exciting. This is just, boy, like I'm rooting for Will Myers like no one in New York should be rooting for Will Myers. It's so exciting. <laughs> they, they um, yeah, it's good to see because obviously in my current capacity, you know, I can't be a Padres fan. So that fan of course, kinda, of course, has kind of like died you know, died off more than it, than it would if I wasn't in this industry, but it's like, it's just good to see, man, that they actually, you know, they went for it. They traded prospects at the right times. They didn't trade too many of them. They, you know, they brought up Tatis eventually. And then, you know, the other guys behind them, then there's going to be Gore. And it's like, they, they actually built a team, man. I feel like in baseball and when you're a small market team, that's, you know, that's the way to do it. Like it, you, you've got to do it. You've got to hit on those right notes. And I think, uh, Finally, they have. We'll see if they they can do anything with it. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting. I definitely I definitely expected the Mets to be better than the Padres this year, and it's just twenty twenty is strange, man. We'll never see another one like it. <laughs> that's uh, I think that's a certainty. Um, all right, last one. If the Padres win a World Series this year, is Hosmer's contract worth it? And he had a good season this year. And I'm a big Eric Hosmer fan, but that. That was a big step in kind of bringing that franchise forward. Does does a, does a World Series title, no matter the numbers for him, no matter the production that he puts up for the next however many years he's there, is that enough to justify that contract? You said the perfect line. I'm going to steal it from you now. That's not my money. But, <laughs> um, you know, the perspective of a baseball fan, yeah. Like, you got to – Look, that was the first step in them trying to say that, you know, hey, we're for real. We're going to spend on players. And that's what, you know, Machado saw the next year is when he was like, well, they're willing to willing to spend, willing to dish out. And um, you've got to have guys like, you know, even if they're not playing well, he's he's a good leader. He's had a good season this year. But I'm always of the opinion that when you're a small market team, if you need to make it's like the uh, all this Chapman, you know, Cubs thing and. And then, like, you know, Eloy Jimenez and stuff like you always have to trade prospects or, or whatever it may be. But once you win that World Series, that contract is justified, man, especially because they've, yeah. you know, they've never won one. They haven't been in one since 98. That that wipes it away, man. That that stuff's forever. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, they signed him partly for the leadership qualities, and he yes. certainly brought that. And uh, and Machado, the other big, big dollar guy, he had a monster year this year. Like, not monster, but he had a 304, 370, 580 with a 14.6 strikeout percentage. Like, you don't see that. And he's always been a low strikeout guy, but uh, goddamn, I love my Padres. I I, I do, man. And I I always get shit from Mets fans because there's this made-up rivalry now between the two, and I I just don't get involved. But, I mean, this is going back to Tony Gwynn, man. I I always had to check out, you know – before the internet, I had to go find my scores the next day because uh, the papers, the early papers, didn't have them. <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, yeah, little funny rivalry. It's like they Paddock and Alonzo really good last year. Alonzo takes uh, takes the the rookie of the year, and then they both kind of struggle this year, which is kind of a weird trajectory for for both of them. But yeah, man, we'll see if they can do it. I know Fernando Tatis said at the be you know in summer camp that they're aiming for that big cake, so. I mean, it'll be it'll be a heck of a story, man, especially with them in there and the Marlins and uh, something tells me the Dodgers aren't going to win it, man, or at least they're not going to skate through. 
it's you know if they have to go through San Diego, it's not going to be easy. If they have to go through Atlanta, it's not going to be easy. Uh, yeah, oh, playoff baseball, best time of the year. Just you know, only under the Mets being involved in that. That's 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 you know. Right, right. That uh, Atlanta man. I mean, you almost feel bad for them. They had such a great season, and then you get matched up with seven seed Cincinnati, who's got yeah. who's got as about as good of a one two three as as you could you could face in, in the postseason in general, especially from a seven seed. I mean, geez. I mean, they're playing really well, so that'll be interesting. Um, the Soroka stuff was just so sad because you knew Atlanta was going to be in this position at the end of the year, and to have him would have been big, but. It's going to be crazy, man. I'm just excited to see some some new blood in there from, you know, from all those three. And, uh, yeah, it, it, but it does always make you, at least the last couple of days, befuddled at how this Mets team couldn't snag a spot when over half of the league's teams are going. Ah, I've already gotten over it, my man. Good, good. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the healthy way to live, man. You're, you're done and looking forward. Oh, exactly. And, you know, you kind of as a Mets fan, you kind of have to adopt that from a very early age. You have to learn how to just kind of, OK, that was a tough one. Let's go ahead and lock that up and put it away. And one day that that, you know, that lockbox is going to bust. But, uh, you know, for, <laughs> yeah, for now, let's just enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, don't, you don't have to you don't have to go up to the attic if you don't want to. <laughs> Bingo. Um, in the American League, I just want to throw it out there. White Sox and Blue Jays are going to make waves, everybody. So look out for that. Uh, playoff baseball. We're going to come back with a with – a, uh, we're, we're definitely – we're going to do weekly episodes from here on through the uh, offseason. But we're going to have some playoff-themed episodes coming up soon. So everyone look out for that. You know where to find us. Justin, thanks so much for coming on, bro. This was a blast. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun, man. I'm always happy to do it. Uh, really – Respect what you guys do and respect your knowledge and then fandom. And uh, like you said, man, brighter days ahead. So it should be should be a lot more fun. And, you know, the next time we talk. Oh, for sure, man. Uh, we will have to do a uh, an off season kind of tracker warm up before things really heat up on the hot stove. And uh, I hope we can have you back. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Anytime, man. I'm always free. <laughs> <laughs>